Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to the happy hour. Happy Wednesday, if you're listening to this in real time. I want to let you know that I'm so honored that you would choose to listen to our show today. There are a lot of voices out there, and I have a lot of voices I'm listening to. And so the fact that you would tune in today, it means a lot to me. This show, The Happy Hour, has actually been one of my greatest gifts to myself personally over the past couple of years. And I've heard the same from some of you, that you have learned so much from all the guests on the show. And I can say the exact same thing. I've been reminding myself and my friends that listening is one of the greatest ways that we can learn and lament and understand each other. I'm hoping that you find yourself doing just that today during the show, listening as my guest Gina Thomas shares her story with us. I actually read Gina's book, Separated by the Border, a birth mother, a foster mother, and a migrant child's 3,000-mile journey last year before my trip to the border with Tess Clark and Women of Welcome. I highly recommend her book if you're looking something to read and you want to hear more about her story after the show today. Gina and her husband served as missionaries in Mexico, and when they moved back to the States, God moved in their hearts to care for the vulnerable in their city. This led them to foster care. In our conversation, we talk about the story of her foster daughter, Julia, her family in Honduras, and how together they worked for to have them reunited. Gina also shares important information about the ongoing circumstances at the border and the zero tolerance legislation that is still in effect today. I asked Gina some hard questions that you might be wondering as you listen to this. I hope you are encouraged and a little bit more educated through her answers today. Right now, this week, there's a campaign that's going on to advocate for the vulnerable children who are held in border facilities and those currently entering at the borders. Visit hashtag don't look away and hashtag for every child to learn more about how we can ask our state and national leaders to change the law that separates children from their guardians. Okay, here's my conversation with Gina. Hey, Gina, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie, thanks so much for having me. This is exciting because I've been wanting to have you on for a while just to tell the listeners how people sometimes end up on the show. A lot of times people are pitched to us, you know, like you should have this person on. They're really great. They wrote a book or they're doing this. And then other times I come across a book and I'm holding up your book right here. Uh, It's called Separated by the Border, A Birth Mother, A Foster Mother, and a Migrant Child's 3,000 Mile Journey. And I read it and I knew immediately I wanted to have you on the happy hour and we have mutual friends. So this is how this all came together. That was awesome. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Oh man. Our mutual friends, Tess Clark. Mm -hmm. Tess has been on the happy hour before. If you want to go listen to her show, she's been on the happy hour. Great show. And then um, Sarah. Yeah. Do you know know Sarah Cusada? I always always struggle with how I'm going to say her last name right. How do I say it? Casada. Casada. Okay. So do you know Sarah Casada? I do. Yeah. 
she's lovely as well. And I need she to get is. her on the happy hour ASAP. So yes. I'm so glad you're here. So introduce yourself to my listeners. Yeah. Well, hey everyone. I'm Gina Thomas. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I work at a nonprofit, which does poverty alleviation from a holistic uh, development perspective with biblical principles. And I write as much as I can on the side. I've got two kids, one who's about to turn nine and the other who's about to turn five. Going a little crazy right now in quarantine, not going to lie. But, you know, we're very thankful for just our family and the kids are, are pretty great. We have really great kids. So I'm thankful that I get to be their mom. It's a pretty amazing privilege for me. So that's amazing. And did you say they're eight and four? They are. Yeah. Fun ages. They're starting to explore, starting to figure things out. Love it so much. Well, I want to jump in and I want to hear a little bit of your story because I saw your book. And first of all, if you're if all my listeners know, I'm a sucker for good covers and I love the cover of this book. It's beautiful. So kudos to whoever did that. But I was immediately intrigued by your story for a couple of reasons. Number one, foster care is something that I have personally never done, but I have tons of friends who've walked through foster care, really, really have a heart for bringing foster kids back with their families, like reunification. And so I was immediately attracted to that. And then the whole title, Separated by the Border, I was immediately intrigued of how in the world is this, you know, white woman fostering a child from Honduras? Like what, what's even going on here? And I devoured your book. And so I want everyone to go get it. So you don't have to give away all the good stuff. But just tell me, how did your family even get entered into foster care and then foster care of a child who was separated at the border from Honduras? This could yeah. be four hours, but let's just jump in. <laughs> So it kind of starts in Mexico. My husband and I, we were missionaries there for four and a half years. So we both speak Spanish. And our son, our old eldest son, was born there. And while we were there, we were attempting to adopt. And from it was the States just, or from Mexico? From Mexico. Okay. Got it. And every door was just kind of closed on that during our time. And then I started doing my master's degree through Eastern University international development and started really thinking about why am I so willing and so interested in adopting internationally, but I'm not paying attention to any of the vulnerable children in my own country. And so those questions really haunted me. And, uh, and I look back on it now, and I'm, I'm grateful that it didn't work out in the sense that I was able to open my eyes to a whole population of vulnerable children that I just really had kind of not looked at before. Mm -hmm. And so when we got back to the States, we signed up to do foster care. And that's, if anybody's gone through it, it's quite a process. Um, it was 10 weeks of, uh, of class. And then after that, it's a whole long process of home studies and all the things, right? Which I need to say too, I want to interrupt you and say, yeah. you were very honest in your writing about foster care. And I appreciated that as being a, an adoptive mom that's gone through mm. hard things with children that are not so easy to write about sometimes. And then be watching my friends, you know, walk through foster care and seeing the, the challenges that the system has. And then the challenges that you have to come to terms with your own self that you, yeah. that come to the surface. It's like, oh, I didn't know I had all this evil crappy stuff inside me <laughs> until yes. I started this process. So I really yeah. appreciated your honesty with that a lot. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. You know, foster care in general, it's such a great area. And like you said, there's there's a lot of issues in the system itself. And then you kind of, once you get involved, you kind of submerge all these issues within yourself. And so one of the things I often say is we can't fully fight the demons, you know, in our world if we don't fight the ones that are in us as well. And so oftentimes that happens simultaneously. 
which is just overwhelming. But hey, okay, I'm going to interrupt you again because sure. I marked a quote in your book. Can I read it? It's about foster sure. care. Okay. Sure. I love reading people their own books. I think it might be uncomfortable for some people. I hope it's not uncomfortable for you. Okay. You said this. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And I believe this is originally from a blog post of yours, but you said the gospel is both terrible and terrific because I am the worst of sinners and the daughter of the good king simultaneously. The gospel is both terrific and terrible because my foster daughter is a hot mess and yet a beautiful princess simultaneously. The gospel is both terrific and terrible because my house is a mixture of a yelling pad and a safe house. And I often feel like the strictest of teachers with sporadic moments of mother in love with her brand new baby. Fostering has brought me much confusion, but one absolute. I see my sin more clearly than I ever have, but I see the kingdom of God more clearly too. I was like, yes, Gina. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I, so that's what I'm talking about with your vulnerability and honesty around foster care. So I keep thank interrupting you. you to tell you what I love about your book. <laughs> and I will shut up and let you talk. No, thank you. That's awesome. Um, it's always interesting to hear, you know, what resonates the most with people. So I, I love having my book read to me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we started getting involved in foster care. Um, we ended up going through the process and then had to kind of push pause on that because I found out I was pregnant with our, our youngest and then came back around to it later. So we started fostering in October of 2017. And so we were kind of in the system in the county and we had two girls in our home. And about that same time, uh, little Julia was making her way up from Honduras um, through Guatemala and then, the, then Mexico uh, to, the, to the border. Our paths crossed in February, so that was a couple months into foster care, when she was found uh, on the streets by police. And that was then, she was then taken into Child Protective Services. Where was she found, Gina? She was found in a neighborhood. I mean, in the States? In the States, yep. In North Carolina, where we were living. Okay. What happened was she had, so let me back up a little bit and tell her story. She was traveling with her biological mother, Lupe and her stepdad, Carlos. And when they arrived at the border, they were separated. So first she was separated from her mother because the smugglers who they had paid quite a bit of money to, to get there, decided to take the mother as a hostage. And that turned into several different things. And there was quite a bit of of tragic trauma that happened along the way, uh, even before getting there. But her mom was taken hostage. And then Julia and Carlos were then allowed to go and cross into the United States. Well, once they arrived in the United States, Border Patrol then separated Carlos and Julia. And so Julia officially entered as an unaccompanied minor. And what happens in those cases is that they go through the Office of Refugee Resettlement, and then they're placed in the least restrictive housing that they can find. So usually a connection, a relative, a friend, someone that someone knows that they already know within the United States. And so those placements are kind of like foster care in the sense of those children then go to live with that family. However, unlike foster care, they're not given any stipends or anything. So that's, you know, that's part of that whole broken system that we talk about. So the family that she was living with were, was two single moms who had their own kids and those kids went to school and, and the moms worked. And so during the day, because she was a year younger than when school starts, so she would have started kindergarten the next year, she couldn't go to school. And the family did not have economic means to send her to preschool or to find someone to watch her. There's no stipend. There's nothing. So she would often be left home alone. And she's a sassy little girl. She's amazing. And so she would 
go find stuff. She would leave the house. She would figure out how to unlock the doors, leave the house and go to the neighbor's houses. And one day there was a neighbor that, that saw her kind of wandering around in different houses and, and called the police. And so that's how we got involved. Our social workers called us because they knew that we both spoke Spanish. And at the time she didn't speak any English. So she ended up in our home. The thought was it was just going to be the weekend and that ICE and uh, ORR, Office of Refugee Resettlement, would come on Monday to court and pick her up. But that didn't happen. <laughs> and then the following week, it didn't happen again. So then finally, she was like officially, you know, part of um, Department of Child Services. And we officially started fostering her. Along the way, so there was a lot of details about her story and her life and even, you know, if her mom was alive and all that kind of stuff that we didn't know when she first came into care, which is pretty typical for foster care. There's a lot of unknowns. But then once we figured out that her mom was, was alive and her mom had since escaped from the smugglers, made her way back to Honduras, we were able to connect with her and kind of connect with the Honduran consulate and figure out the different steps that we had to take in order to get her back. Because she was in foster care, in foster care, you have to go through the court, you know, your county court, and the, the judge has to sign off on the child being returned to her home. And so we had to get a home study done in Honduras and like all these things that, you know, was just very, very complicated. Uh, and no one really knew what we were doing. Not, not just us, but like the social workers and the consulate, like nobody really knew what to do. Uh, with this case. So we had to kind of learn along the way. It took about four months. And in July, got to travel back with her. My husband and I got to travel back with her to Honduras and see her reunited with her mom and brothers. You guys, you got to get the book and read the whole thing because it's a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm thankful that you took the time to write it out for us because I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions that I think people are wondering right now. Sure. I think the number one question that people think when they are, this is maybe a new idea for them or they haven't spent a lot of time listening to stories of migrant families coming to America. The first question that someone would ask would be like, Gina, I don't understand. Why would a woman, you know, give her child over to a man to get over here? Doesn't she love her daughter? And so that is a question that will plague a lot of people. So let's talk about that for a minute and talk about Julia's mom and what you learned through that situation and how we can learn about, I mean, you know, in your book, you said that there were in 2017, 36,000 unaccompanied minors crossed into the United States. Yeah. That's a lot. And so yeah. let's talk about that for a minute. And what does that look like for a family to come to the border and then a family get separated? Yeah. So in Lupe's situation, and this is not everyone's, but her reasons for even trying to come was economic. This is certainly a lot of people's reason, but then there's other people who will try to come because they feel like their lives are being threatened with gang violence or domestic violence. So there's a couple of different reasons for why people come. And really the decision is from every, every account that I've ever heard, this decision is never easy. Mm. This is never like, yes, I definitely want to go. Yes, this is the best thing for my family. It's usually, can I do this? Is it really worth it? Do I have any other options? Nobody really wants to learn a new language, a new culture. Nobody thinks, from the people I've talked to, no one thinks they're going to get rich quick. This is, not, this is not what they're thinking. In Lupe's situation, she did not want to leave her children. She did not want to leave the boys behind. So she has three boys and then Julia's her daughter. She brought her daughter with her because the three boys were old enough to kind of take care of themselves. And they also had their grandma in the home too. So there's that going on and grandfather in the home at the time. And so Lupe decided to bring her daughter. First of all, she's the only girl. 
and she was the youngest. So the idea was for her to come to the States for just a couple of months, make some money to pay for medicine that her grandfather needed, and then return. And so the thought was never to stay. Uh, It was only to be there for a little while and provide for her family. So, you know, a lot of these decisions are really based and motivated by let's keep the family together. And I think that's one thing that we really have to remember when we look at those cases and say, oh, I would never do that. Or how could they ever do that? I think most of us, when our family is, when it feels like their lives are on the line, we're going to do probably anything we can because we love our family so much. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've learned a lot in the process, probably like five, six, seven years of my life is how important listening is. And, Mm. you know, I'm grateful that God let me do this job that I have because I get to listen to stories all the time. Like this is my job, listen to stories. (laughs) And I learned so much. And I think the thing that I want people to know is like how important listening is to different stories. Because if you've never listen to a family like Lupe, if you've never listened to her story, you might have a false idea of what it looks like for women to come with their daughters to the United States. You know, right now in our current culture, if you've never listened to, you know, a black or brown woman or man um, who has gone through what a lot, most all black and brown people in our country have gone through, then you don't understand what you're hearing. And so listening is so important. And you talk about, you also talk about lamenting in your book. And I want to talk about that later because I thought it was a really important chapter that you ended on. But just listening to people's story changes everything. I I was able to travel down to the border with Tess and we went to Juarez right over the border in Texas. Mm -hmm. Where did Lupe and her daughter attempt to cross? They crossed it, McAllen. McAllen, okay, in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I went down to El Paso. We went over to Juarez and heard a man's story. And I've shared it here on the show before, but a lot of similarities. It was a man. He had a, a wife and kids back home, and he was threatened his life, and he had to get away to save his family's life. And uh, he was stuck at the border. Uh, this was back in, I think I went in like August of September of 2019. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he was stuck there trying to get over. And it Although I had read your book already, I was familiar with the work Tess is doing. I've read Sarah's book. So like I'm listening. But when I sat with that man and heard his story and heard him cry about leaving his family and the things he said to me, I thought I would do anything for my kids. Like I would do anything for my kids. And that is what I learned on that trip is that obviously it's not everybody. Right. And I have not had a conversation with everyone who has attempted. But hearing his story, I thought I would do what he did. So let's talk about what has been happening with what you've seen happening, even with Julia coming over with her stepdad and being separated. And we saw this in the news, I guess, back in 2018. Is that what we're looking at here? 2018 uh, was the zero tolerance policy. So can you walk us and educate us a little bit on that and then what that looks like today, two years later? Sure. Yeah. So um, the zero tolerance policy was officially announced in April of 2018. However, we now know that it had started long before then. So it had started in June of 2017. So it went a full year, June 2017 until June 2018. And basically what was happening is that there was no tolerance for people who would cross in and families were immediately separated. So some people probably maybe have seen the footage of actual families forcibly being separated. And when I traveled with Tess and Sarah, I got to see the, the spot and the place, the tension center where, processing center where a lot of that happened. So if a child came in with an adult, they would come into this processing center and then they would be separated. So the children would go to one cage, basically, because they were like cages, and the adults would be in another one. 
And then what would happen is a lot of the children would then get placed into, like Julia did, uh, Office of Refugee Resettlement and be officially unaccompanied minors. But unaccompanied minors, as a label, says that they came unaccompanied, and that's not the case, including in Julia's case, because of the zero tolerance policy, but that's how they were processing everyone. So that was going on for a full year. Julia probably happened during that time because she had tried to cross at the end of October, beginning of November of 2017. So that had been happening for a while. Then Carlos was immediately deported and Julia came in by herself. The reason that the zero tolerance policy ended in a lot of ways was a ton of pressure from the public, including 3,000 of us women who were in this Not Without My Child campaign constantly tweeting at and telling our representatives that, that this is unacceptable. Now, what's happening again is that currently families are being given what's called a binary option. And so they're telling the parents that they can either be separated from their child and their child can go into foster care or Office of Refugee Resettlement and the parent will stay in the detention center or they're saying, or, you know, you can keep your child in there with you, but that's not the best option right? Don't you want your child to be free? So in that hope with the family choosing, if they did to stay in the detention center, their hope would then to get asylum or or go be deported. What are the two options? It depends on the particular situation. And also, Gina, always correct my language if I say something wrong, because we learn here at the happy hour. So that's giving you that. (laughs) That's good. Um, So sometimes, so basically every family has the right or individual has the right when they approach a, a port of entry, which is uh, the different place, different ports along the border, they have the, the option to say, I'm here to seek asylum. However, the current administration has reduced significantly the number of asylum refugees that they're allowing in, especially those along the border. And so I'm not exactly sure what if they're even saying that that's an option right okay, now. Okay, got it. Yeah. So what they're not informing the people of is this thing called the Flores Agreement. And the Flores Agreement says that children should not be held in detention centers for longer than 20 days. So what the administration is trying to do is trick them into separating so that parents will then get held in detention centers while they still follow the rules of the Flores Agreement. And so we're back at it again. We are, we're trying to get a group of Christian women together who will, again, stand in the gap between, you know, what is, the UN called it, government-sanctioned child abuse, and, and really just press our senators. Because, you know, there's tons of stuff going on right now in the world and lots for us to pay attention to. And we just, we just really want people to know that this is happening and that we need to push against it again. So what does that look like to stand in the gap? We're working on a campaign that we're going to use the hashtags don't look away and for every child. And really we're standing on the, the idea, the story of Shipra and Pua in the Bible in the old Exodus, Old Testament, um, where they did not follow the laws of the land. And they said, no, this is not right. We will stand up for the life of children, right? Um, that's what we need to do. And so we've got different action steps that we're working on <laughs> putting together. Those women, you know, showed us how to civilly disobey because it was right. And they followed, it says something like they followed the law of the Lord. And I think we need to remember that the law of God is certainly not always the law of the land and we need to stand up for that. So if people follow me or follow that hashtag, they'll find all the information that they need to get involved. So when you're listening to this 
podcast, join in immediately. Go look on social media for the hashtags don't look away and for every child. And we'll be in the middle of this campaign. It's going to go through June 22nd. Uh, and we're really going to put pressure on our representatives to to change the law. I love that. I love that. I'll be sharing that as well. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This seems like, and I don't want to, it seems like a hard time right now to be advocating for things. Uh, do you feel that tension and pressure? Yes, very much so. How are you handling that in the middle? I mean, 2020 is going to go down in all of our lifetimes. Is like, what in the actual H-E double hockey sticks is happening in our life? You know what I mean? And so it just feels like every day you wake up and go, there's something else. And, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with where do I find my voice and where do I stand in the gap for who, for what? Do I need to stand in the gap for like coronavirus or Black Lives Matter or children being separated? And so how do you find that tension? Yeah of really standing in the gap in this moment for this? This past week, I've been working with some church leaders on, you know, really standing in the gap for Black Lives Matter, and then also doing this work as well. And I feel like, you know, when we talk about these demons that we fight, white supremacy is one of those large, what I feel like is a stronghold in this country. And uh, immigration is racialized too. So for me, it feels like one kind of branch of this whole movement of all lives are, they have dignity that God has given us and we need to be the ones standing up for it and fighting for it. I really believe that that is our call as Christians, no matter, you know, what theology we stand by, that seems to be very clear uh, in the Bible is that every single human being is given a God given divine imprint. And we're the ones who stand up for that no matter what. That's so good. Uh, I want to ask you another question. I'm thinking of my listeners who this is a new conversation for them. 
And, you know, I think that there wouldn't be many people who would say, I don't want to stand in the gap for children. Like, I think that that, like, we can find a common ground, like children yep. deserve life, love, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all the things like this is yes. good. Yeah. I think where a lot of people will struggle with this, Gina, and I would just like for you to encourage my listeners in how to lean in and listen and learn and really care about things happening at the border. And, you know, honestly, news is just such a cycle. Like, it's yeah. just like, I literally am like, is anyone talking about coronavirus anymore? Like, I don't even right. know, but it's like, it's heightened. Like more people have it, but it's just news. That's how news right. works. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so honestly, there's not a lot in the news right now that I am seeing about issues yeah. at the border. And so can you even give us like some resources, some ideas, some information about how do we continue to have this on the forefront of our mind when the news isn't talking about it? I would say that there are a couple of news stories on this, but not much. And that's kind of part of the thing is that, you know, our attention is on so many different things that it's hard to stay up to date with this. And so we know from uh, a couple of reports by different nonprofits that at least 350 unaccompanied minors were immediately turned away at the border. There's probably more than that because they're not actually reporting all of this. The agency doesn't necessarily have to report that. So those children are under 18 and they're being turned away at the border, which means there's no safety protocol in place, which means their lives are much more at risk to be trafficked uh, oh, there's assaulted. people waiting for them on the other side. Yep. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I would say as far as things to to follow or places to to look, there's a couple of different things. So Kind is an organization that works specifically towards some of these these ends. K I N D. It's uh, kids in need of defense. Raices, which is in Texas. R A I C E S. Another organization that does a lot of great immigration work. And then there's also the National Immigration Forum, American Immigration Council. There's a couple of different ones, and I've got links on, on my website to a lot of this stuff too, so I hope that people can pay attention. And definitely, if you're on, on social media and you can look up those hashtags, we'll have information from coming from there too. It's so great. I want to ask another question that I know some people are wondering. You know, you may feel like, oh, Jamie, I'm not equipped to answer this question, but this is really what people are, are you know, good-hearted people will listen to this conversation and go, okay, well, Gina, what do you expect us to do? Like, what are we supposed to do? Just open our borders and let everybody in and just, you know, pour out our money for everybody. And that is a real concern yeah. for a lot of especially conservative evangelical Christians in our country. Yep. What do you say to that, Gina? I don't feel equipped to answer on the policy side, but I do feel equipped to answer as a Christian. I like that. I'll take it as a Christian okay. for sure. Cool. When I go back to the Old Testament and I think about the God of abundance who tells people, allow gleaning, like let's make provision for those who cannot provide for themselves. And I think about the God of abundance who taught people as he left them, as he led them out of Egypt, he taught them to trust him every single day with manna and to not hoard it. I can't take the stand that says there's not enough in this country. And I really truly believe that empires will always tell us there's not enough. They will always tell us you are not enough and they will always tell us there is not enough, you must produce more. And that's exactly what happened in Egypt. If you think about the Egyptians and what they were building and the Israelites and what they had to do, they constantly had to make more bricks, more bricks, more bricks, more bricks. It's this mentality that we have that I feel like is in direct contrast with who God and the God of abundance is. And he says, there's enough. Take a Sabbath day. You don't have to produce. 
it's going to be okay. And you can share what you have. And that's what leads me in any of these conversations. I'm not equipped to handle policy either by any means, but I remember on the trip learning um, and listening to some women that were on the trip that actually do work in policy. So they're super Mm. smart, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that I remember them talking about is not this idea of just like open all the borders and everything's free game, but to have systems in place that really care about people. And I think that's like this way that a lot of people can wrap their brain around is like, okay, I like don't want to just open up everybody, you know, we're going to let everybody in because that idea scares so many people. Mm -hmm. But what if we were like, what if we had systems in place that actually cared about people and cared about keeping families together and cared about taking care of people? And so I think that is a happy medium too, to talk about of, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not asking to abolish all the things or whatever it might look like. But what we are asking as Christ followers to do is A, love people and everything you just said. Like that is the God that we serve, yes. But we're also asking just to be kind to people and to not separate families, you know? And the worst comeback to that is like, well, they should just stay home. Why are they coming, you know? And again, proximity changes everything. And if you've never had a conversation or listened well to someone talk about that, it really is hard for you to know, which leads me to your very last chapter of your book, which you talk, you titled it Reflections. And in the last chapter of your book, you talk a lot about lamenting. And I think, I agree, your statement in here, it says, lament is a biblical discipline that we often ignore in white evangelicalism. Those of us in the dominant culture need to lean into lament, to learn from our brothers and sisters of color, and to be fearless when the injustices around us that daily affect them create an ugly emotional response. We have an affinity for all things beautiful and Instagrammable within the white church. This idol denies us the ability to walk with others through suffering. And I think that's what we're talking about here is that proximity and that understanding. And so how in the past, however many years, even going back to when you lived in Mexico, however, wherever God has taken you along your journey, what have you learned through true lamenting over what's happening to people in our world that look different than you? You know, I think until I read uh, Prophetic Lament, I didn't really understand the process of lament. And as a writer, I didn't really understand that I could have a process to that. And in my book, I have a couple of laments that I've written out as an acrostic that was, again, just kind of following um, Sung Chan Ra's advice there. And then just kind of reading the Old Testament with new eyes on how they did do that and lamentation specifically. I think lament is is hard because it requires us to see the world for what it is. It requires us to change our perspective and it requires us to realize that that we have when I say we I'm talking about white evangelicals I think in general in America we have I don't think that we have easy lives but we have easier lives mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And when systems are set up specifically to to promote us as white people, there's a lot of lament that will lead us to confession. And confession is scary. And I love that when we first talked, you said, I'm I'm confessing stuff. I feel like the past week of, you know, going through this process and realizing just the pain and struggle with a lot of Black Americans that's so visible to us right now, it requires us to confess that we've been part of the problem. And I think lament allows us to see that And if we don't lament first, then we'll just put like band-aids on stuff and we'll just say, oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's fine. But lament actually has us sit in the pain and has us listen, like you're saying, to the stories that we don't want to hear 
And it has us going to places that we don't necessarily want to go and requires us to take a really good look at what our theology says about our anthropology and helps us recognize, hey, if my theology says that anthropology is this way, and that's then making me be a certain way towards people that look differently than me, then my theology is wrong, and I need to change that. And I think lament really helps us walk through that process. And like you said, proximity changes everything. And when you live around, when we lived in Mexico, and we live around people who are constantly struggling to make ends meet, and we ourselves were constantly struggling to make ends meet because missionary support would, would fluctuate from month to month, you start to realize this is normal for the good majority of the world. And that's something to lament. I think lamenting and confessing the way that you're talking about is maybe the key to a shift in what we're seeing in our world. And that's not a new concept. I didn't come up with that. You didn't come up with that. This is like Bible. Right. Um, <laughs> Jesus, right. like God, is, he's telling us to do this. But I see that even as you were speaking of that, and this is not a new concept for me, it made me teary-eyed because I thought lamenting and sitting in someone else's pain is really hard because you have to really look and assess and be like, A, do I care about their pain? Right. B, have I caused it at all? And I mean like at all, have I been a part of any kind of system that has caused this? And then three, do I care to see any change? And I think those are really, really difficult questions to ask ourselves. And so many of us in this world, we have the privilege to not have to ask those. That's right. We don't like, like I would never, I don't have to ask those in my life doesn't ever change. Right. And so I think asking ourselves to step into someone's pain and lament with them and see and reflect and then ask ourselves those questions takes a lot of energy. It It takes a lot of purpose. It takes a lot of emotional pain. It takes a lot of just becoming low to lift up other people. And Mm -hmm. humans are prideful people and not something that we enjoy doing. And so thank you for your encouragement in that. And I know that that's going to bless a lot of people. One of the things that I think lament and confession really requires of us is that question about change. Like, do we want change? And then the following question is, will we sacrifice for it? And that's where I think, you know, I'm seeing different organizations and churches and leaders confess, but my question is, is your confession costing you anything? Mm. Because if it's not, then I'm not sure it's actual confession. I think it's just performance confession. And there's a big difference there. And lament really helps us decipher between the two. And I think we've seen a lot of performance confession in leaders and yep. like, let's just all admit it in ourselves. Like, yep. yeah, we've all lived the performance confession and I think you can only do that for so long. Yep. You just can't, that can't stand. It can't withstand. That's right. That's right. Gina, thank you. I want everyone to check out your book, Separated by the Border, and follow you on Instagram. And when this show comes out, if you're listening to it within the first couple of days, you have an opportunity to get just to jump in. You And we'll put all of those hashtags in our show notes. And we'll also put all those hashtags on my personal Instagram as well so people can find them. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. 
No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, I've got to do what I always do. What are you loving and what are you reading? So right now I'm loving iced coffee. It's getting me through the day. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I have a couple of questions about iced coffee because I love iced coffee as well. But what I've learned is you can't just make coffee and pour it over ice. No. Or do you like make legit iced coffee? No, I don't. I do make legit coffee, hot coffee. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, it takes a while in the morning. So, so that's like the first cup. And then throughout the day, I just, I just buy the cheap stuff from the okay. grocery store. And then yeah. you, you buy it already. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And my, yeah. my husband is like really just disturbed by the fact that I do this because we ran a coffee shop in I was going to say, so. y'all started a coffee shop in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's really quite embarrassing, but it's getting me through, through quarantine. So oh, I'm going to Love iced coffee. Yes. Okay. What else? <laughs> and then what am I reading? I'm reading a couple of different things. I'm actually reading way too many things right now. Marlena Graves has a new book coming out, The Way Up is Down. Down, which has been really, really beautiful. And then there's a book called Rediscipling the White Church by David Swanson, I'm also reading, which is really cool because it, re- it speaks to practices and actual discipleship that needs to change within the white church for us to really understand this, the racial divides that are occurring. And then George Yancey has a book called Backlash, which is deep and intense. He is a, a Yale professor, I think it's Yale, who got quite a bit of flack, not just flack, hate mail and stuff from, from people who's when he started talking about the best that we can be as white people. So this is a black man. He talked about the best that we can be as white people as anti-racist racists. And so that's been a really sitting with someone in pain. It's yeah. a very painful book to read for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. I love it. You know, I haven't done this in a while and I'm going to, I haven't told people what I'm reading in a while. So how about I tell you what I'm reading? Oh, that'd too. be great. Okay. So I'm reading actually two books right now. The first one is by Kate Bowman. Do you know who she is? Yes. Yeah. Have you read her book? Everything, Not yet. Okay. Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies, I believed. I, I hope I said that right. Have you yeah. read that book yet? Not yet, but it's on my, like, I really, really want to read it. I've been reading it. It's my, ba- I call it my bathtub read. I don't know if you have things like this. Like you read this here, this there. This is what I'm reading okay. in the bathtub, which is weird, but <laughs> I read a lot of the bathtub. I've cried through a lot of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's her story of walking through cancer and mm-hmm. it's, it's been good. And then I started on the beach, the underground railroad by Colson Whitehead. Oh, wow. I cannot remember. It was, it won the Pulitzer prize, all kinds of stuff. And so I'm diving into that. And, and is that that's... nonfiction? Fiction. Okay on um the underground railroad and so it is very like descriptive and character and i honestly Mm -hmm. am struggling getting into it but i'm determined Mm -hmm. to stick it out you know it's one of those books i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna stay with it i'm 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 here for the long haul yeah Uh, i'm gonna do it uh so i'm into that do you read fiction a lot I have been trying to do that more because it really does help like just shut my brain down because I'm a five on the Enneagram. I'm constantly thinking about stuff all the time. So my brain needs certain things to turn off and fiction usually helps that out. So I haven't lately, but I need to get back into something. Okay. I'm going to tell you what to read. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Have you read anything by Kristen Hanna? No. It's called The Great Alone. Okay. I'll write it down. It's a big book. I devoured it. Yeah. It took me probably about 75 pages to get it's very like character development at the beginning as well. Gina, like I still found I found I finished this book probably three weeks ago. I found myself the other day wondering what she was doing, the character. Like that's how wow. you know it is a good book. 
And so the Great Alone by Kristen Hannah set in Alaska in the, I'm going to, it spans over a lot of years. I think it starts around the 60s. Okay. Yeah. All right. I will definitely check it out. Really, really good. (laughs) Gina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have been looking forward to chatting with you for a while. Thank you for writing down your story and the story of your friends in Honduras. Um, Do you still keep in contact with them? Yep. All the time. I thought that you would. Thank you to them for letting you write their story and share it with us because it has made me a better person from reading um, your words and Lupe's journey and Julia's journey and everything that you guys walk through together. And so thank you for that. And thank you for being a voice uh, for what's happening and for not letting us forget uh, what's going on. Because like you said, the news cycle can be a little bit crazy and you're helping us remember what's still happening um, with children. Um, who are made in the image of God um, at the border. And so thank you for that. Um, We can never do anything for you at the happy hour. You let us know. We're Gina Thomas fans. (laughs) Um, Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is Angelie Pascal. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour. Maybe you can have a real happy hour with a friend. Please join the conversation about child separation at the border. Check out the hashtags. Hashtag don't look away and hashtag for every child. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.